our Lord and our God, we firmly believe that you are here, that you see us, that you hear us. We adore you with profound reverence. We ask your pardon for our sins, the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. You know, my friends, this is uh, ordination season throughout our country, uh, the world. Uh, many men are being ordained to the uh, a permanent or tr transitional diaconate to the holy priesthood. Our diocese this Saturday, in fact, will ordain some deacons, and then next Saturday uh, our, our bishop will ordain some new priests for our diocese. And so I thought it appropriate that I should tell uh, my story. And I struggled uh, when I was praying and thinking about this, uh, where to uh, begin. And uh, I did not want this to just be a nice story about my life. I want this to be about how God is working, grace is working in all of our lives. I wanted to try to make this relevant. So I hope this doesn't come across as like a priest vocational talk because that's not my intention. Obviously there will be some of that in it, but I want this to be a talk about grace and that he does, grace does work in all of our lives. I do feel um, somewhat blessed that he has worked in my life in extraordinary ways, but I don't think that I am unique. Before I thought I was just extra special, I, I needed uh, a lot of grace. But I honestly do, the more I've prayed and thought about it, I think he is working in all of our lives and some of us just need extraordinary um, grace. Um, anyway, so I'm gonna structure my talk in, uh, with four basic points. First, I wanna lay the foundation. Um, many of you know me, but uh, some of you don't know me at all. I wanna talk about my family life and uh, help you recognize that God calls all kinds of people. And uh, then I want to speak of what I would call my reversion period of my life. Um, I do think that the Lord uses uh, particular methods, and uh, they're not unique to my journey. I think they're common to all of us, and so I want to speak about that. And then thirdly, uh, I want to obviously speak about that particular call, uh, how the Lord did call me to live out holiness in a particular way uh, for him to be set apart as his priest. And of course, my uh, response to it, um, sometimes cooperating greatly and perfectly with grace, and other times uh, going kicking and screaming, uh, perhaps even now. And then finally, uh, if there is time, um, I want to speak about that ongoing process of embracing uh, that vocation, that it's not just a one-time event, at least it hasn't been for me, that it's an ongoing uh, response to that continual call for incredible depth that the Lord desires for all of us. And so first, well, my family, I'm a military brat. My dad was a C-130 gunship pilot for uh, 30 years uh, in the Air Force. My mom was a licensed practical nurse until she started having kids uh, soon after they were married. And uh, anyway, four kids in four years in four states. Uh, we moved around a lot. And as a result, uh, my siblings and I became, uh, well, we're very close. And, um, but I was a shy kid. I used to sit in my parents' uh, living room and listen to the adults. I sat in my little red rocking chair, didn't say a peep. So they called me uh, Buddy, because um, my dad and I had the same name and just, I was always at his side. And uh, my shyness didn't really go away uh, until much later. Uh, in high school, I, I was afraid to talk to people, so I would roam the hallways during lunch, I went to the computer lab and I got some Pop-Tarts and a Coke, and I just wandered the halls hoping I would not have to make eye contact with another human person. This is disorder. 
And, um, and I recognize it to not be uh, God's plan for me, and so I took a speech class. I really liked this teacher, so I took another one, and she was also teaching acting, and so before you knew it, I was doing plays at lunch and trying to get over my introverted nature, uh, my shyness. And I think moving also helped me become independent and helped uh, expand, anyway, my introverted nature uh, a little bit. And so I became pretty independent because we did move around a bit. Um, and I think it also prepared me for the priestly life. You know, every three or four years, you'd get ripped out of your parish and sent somewhere else um, with about two weeks' notice. I'm not moving, but anyway, there you go. And as I was looking back at my life, I, I realized, uh, and I don't mean this as an insult, but it's going to come across that way, I realized I really put very little thought or effort into my future plans. It just, everything just seemed to always fall into place. Just fell into place, and uh, as, you know, I was a smart kid, things came kind of easy to me at first, anyhow, um, and I don't know, I just didn't really put any thought into it. I ended up in Germany for high school, had a great time, I uh, bagged groceries in the commissary on base, and uh, spent almost every dollar on a great stereo, the best stereo you could find, and uh, I traveled all over Europe. It was a great life for a kid. But then senior year, we came back to the States, and I, you know, I was alone. I was in German, in uh, Georgia, excuse me, um, probably the only reason why I got accepted to Notre Dame. Not a lot of people from Georgia are applying to Indiana schools. Uh, and it's the first conversation I ever remember having with a priest. I don't even know where Notre Dame was. They didn't have the internet back then, and um, I found it. It's in Indiana. So he said to apply, and so I did. And that decision, I think, uh, really altered the course of my life. I wanted to study computer science, but they weren't giving out scholarships on ROTC for that. We couldn't afford Notre Dame, so I switched to electrical engineering. And since high school was so easy for me, um, I don't say that to brag. I just say that because I went to school in Georgia, where things are very easy. Um, but uh, I uh, never established any sort of uh, discipline. I didn't have to learn how to study. And so going to Notre Dame and all of a sudden studying electrical engineering, uh, I found it very, very difficult. And that didn't mean I would study more. It just meant that I would get bad grades. <laughs> I uh, struggled. And anyway, it's a good thing I had an ROTC scholarship because the bar was kind of low. I did... Uh, I did get commissioned by my own father into the United States Air Force when I graduated with a really bad GPA. Uh, but I didn't, see, uh, I didn't see a future. You know, I had to give them my t four years. I had already given them my whole life, so I didn't feel like I owed them any more. Um, but I didn't want to be in a missile silo. I failed the eye exam. I couldn't be a pilot. No one wants to be a navigator. Um, aircraft maintenance was uh, perhaps my only real option, and that was not attractive to me. I had no plan. So I went and worked for TRW, which was, they were simply on the other side of the desk for me when I was at, uh, on the Air Force wearing the blue suit, and so uh, that's what I did. It was easy. They knew me, they hired me. And I knew that's not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, but when you have no plan, what do you do? You go to grad school. And so I went and got my MBA. I didn't put a lot of thought into it. I already knew Notre Dame. They had a decent reputation, so, that's what I did. And then I graduated and just fell along the job. See how my life is? I'm just falling along. And I come back here because my brother and sister had returned to this area. 
And I just saw an ad in the Washington Post, say, hey, let's, let's do this. And so I was working for a small independent power company. And I absolutely loved it. And I, uh, I excelled at it. I got a fancy title and a car allowance. I bought my BMW. I bought my house. Only thing really missing in my life, from my perspective anyhow, was a wife and kids. It was my great desire to be married and to have kids. Uh, it will happen for y'all. You just have to wait. Um, and then the Lord had to bring some suffering into my life. My company went bankrupt. Now this perfect job with these awesome people. I loved going to work. Uh, I loved what I was doing. I stayed there for many hours, just like all of you. And, um, but they went bankrupt. Not my part of the company, but the other kind. And the assets that I was uh, running, uh, they were very profitable. So they sold those to emerge from bankruptcy, gave me a giant severance, and uh, rehired me as a consultant. I had no money worries, but I had absolutely no confidence because it's hard to get that kind of job in uh, a very small niche market. And so my confidence started to get chipped away, and I was still adrift. But in the meantime, God was doing something even more important in my life, and this is now how we'll talk about my reversion period. And I do call it reversion because I never really left the church. I'm a military brat, as I said, and I know how to follow rules, and getting to Mass is high on the list. You know, I probably have missed Sunday Mass maybe three times, and I think all three of them when I was in, a, in Indonesia for a month. I can't really honestly recall missing Mass. I knew how to follow rules, and I had good parents. Uh, but I never understood it. My time in CCD was done with felt and glue and glitter and things like that. We hardly learned anything about the faith. And then I moved here. I moved here in 1993 as a young adult, and the trajectory of my life was forever changed. We are so blessed in our diocese. We are so blessed. And uh, like many people, I kind of bebopped around, and I ended up in a particular parish. I can't honestly tell you why I stayed there. Maybe it was a homily. I don't know. It was not my, in my parish. I was outside of my parish boundaries. <laughs> But uh, I know many do that, and anyway, for some reason, I settled there. And several months later, we got a new pastor, and he made a very subtle move. He moved the Blessed Sacrament, which was on, the, on one side of the sanctuary, it was in the sanctuary, but it wasn't in the center, and he swapped, basically, the priest chair and the Blessed Sacrament. Now, our Lord and Savior, our Blessed Sacrament was right there in the center, and I'll be embarrassed to tell you, I didn't even notice that first Sunday, I was sitting in my seat all the way to the side here, the same row, not, you know, no, I, I kind of have always tried uh, to not be noticed in my life, and now here I am, I have to be out in front of everybody, but uh, I was in my unnoticeable seat, and he started preaching about that reality, the most blessed sacrament, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is in that tabernacle for me and for you. I remember getting goosebumps all over that I had not thought about this reality, that he is there. So miraculously, God has transubstantiated himself in our presence, and now, very humbly, uh, through my hands and words, that he becomes present on this altar every day. And so I, I realized something important was happening in my life. And so uh, I joined a Bible study at... Um, at our parish, you know, I always thought that was kind of weird. No, normally, you, 
you're brought to the Eucharist by the word. And I think that would be most people's journey. But um, it seemed to me, anyway, that it, uh, mine was happening in the reverse. And then I re was remembering, actually, back when I was in the Air Force, I was going to, uh, to a bunch of Protestant Bible studies, just trying to defend my Catholic faith. And um, Anyway, eventually the, the priest, uh, Pastor Father Vizzano, um, invited uh, folks to come to RCIA. Now, I was obviously already Catholic, but he said you could come, just try not to dominate the conversation. And in the process of doing that, my father came into the church that Easter, but I also came more fully into the church. I realized it had been more than 10 years since I had gone to confession. And so I parked myself at the very end of the line one, one heroic day, and I knew that I would be there a long time, so someone would come, I would just invite them to go ahead, hey, just go ahead. I didn't want to be too embarrassed about how long I would be in the box. And uh, uh, what a grace that ended up being, because I get into the confessional, and the priest comes out, and he says, I'm so sorry, but I have got to go. I have a meeting. So after more than an hour and a half waiting, I walked out in the car, empty parking lot, just my car, and Father Vizzano walking with some some guy out in the parking lot at the far end, and I get in my car, I'm getting ready to drive off, and I see he's running across the parking lot to me. This big, uh, portly sort of priest, uh, probably hasn't run in 30 years, is running towards my car, and I uh, did not know what to do. I had not talked to a priest really ever. And so I just rolled down the window. <laughs> Hi, Father, how's it going? Uh, oh, I see you've been to confession. No, Father, I tried to go to confession, but... Um, well, he had a meeting, so I'll just come back, no worries. Oh, no, I must hear your confession. So he kneels right there. I didn't invite him into the car. Um, he kneels right there in the parking lot. I, honestly, I don't even remember if he put a stole on. It's still valid without the stole. But uh, I, uh, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew what the sinner that I was. And so I just started pouring it out. And I started bawling right there in front of him. And uh, he gave me absolution. I'm sure he had to help me with my... Uh, with my prayers, and, uh, and then he invited me to lunch. He absolved my sins and then uh, established a friendship, and that has really changed my life, uh, that I was carrying around this incredible burden for more than 10 years, and then he introduced me to our Lord, a God of love and of mercy. And then he began to introduce me to the saints. I had no idea you could have a relationship with a saint. When I picked my confirmation saint, it took me all of six seconds. I asked my sister, what did you do? She kept her own name, so that's what I did. St. Richard, what do you know about St. Richard? Nothing. Nobody knows anything about St. Richard. Later, after my conversion or my reversion, I called um, Holy Spirit in Springfield and asked them, um, uh, can I, or in Annadale, excuse me, can I change my confirmation saint? I want to be St. Paul. Oh, no, you can't do that. But you can adopt St. Paul as another saint. So anyway, he introduced me to Padre Pio, and eventually, uh, you know, I learned how to pray the rosary when I was 37 on a pilgrimage to Rome. Shameful that I did not know how to pray a rosary. Within six years, I would be in seminary. Blessed Mother cannot be denied. And then he introduces, uh, introduced me to St. Joseph. They had this Wednesday night adoration, uh, late mass, when I started going to that, I discovered when I was um, between that, they went bankrupt. I'm, I'm working for them as a consultant, wanting to find a full-time job. And uh, so I discovered his novena. Anyone that's been unemployed knows about the St. Joseph no, novena. Uh, and I must have played, prayed that thing 
400, 500 times, I don't know, over and over again, I prayed that novena. And over and over again, I got the same answer, no. Uh, I thought God was not listening, but he was telling me I have a better plan. Eventually, uh, Father Pisano helped me uh, come to know and to truly uh, encounter and love St. Therese. Rather, I think she found me. And I'll talk more about her in a minute. But uh, I did start to go to daily mass uh, first Wednesday night, just added one day a week, he suggested that. And then before you know it, I'm going Saturday morning as well. And then eventually uh, every day, I would not miss mass. And then people of course start to ask me uh, if I was considering being a priest. Um, and I, I don't know that I actually ever lied. I mean, I was considering it, but I was not considering it honestly. I didn't want that. I wanted a wife. I was very clear about what my wants were, and my plan was a good one. Uh, but uh, so many people were asking me, I, I did start to honestly start to open myself up to that possibility. And then someone invited me to be quiet. You know, when you're an independent consultant, you're living at home, you're going up to your only client site uh, a lot and working in your quiet office, um, you have I always, always put the radio on or the TV in the background, whatever it was. I needed to have noise, but then someone invited me into the silence. And that's when I really started to hear the Lord talking to me. And then I discovered in my lap door of my desk a novena to St. Therese, something that I had put there many, many months before when I had been invited to hear a talk by Cardinal O'Malley on her feast day at the Little Flower in Washington. I didn't even know what a novena was, but I had heard people talk about these prayers, and so I uh, needed a job. Well, I had it, actually, I was offered a job, and I didn't want to do it. Um, but it, you know, it's been a while doing this independent consultant. Money wasn't an issue, but I, I figured I needed to move on with my life. Should I take this job? Let's do the novena. And uh, I got an answer to my novena from my first novena to St. Therese, and the answer was turn down the job. So I did. I'm good at following orders. And so um, a couple weeks later, I uh, said, well, why don't we just take this newly found, newly discovered power out for a spin, and people are asking me about the seminary thing. Why don't I just pray this novena? I'll be clear, that is not my vocation. And so I started to pray this novena while I was up in New Jersey, and almost immediately after it, I got a phone call from a friend of mine inviting me to Outer Banks. He himself was in seminary, and a bunch of uh, guys, including Father Vizano, were going down there. So I hang up the phone after telling why I was free so I could go for a couple of days. Um, I remember very distinctly answering, uh, putting down the phone and saying, well, I know I'm not going to be uh, a priest because no guy down in the Outer Banks has given me a rose. So uh, I was pretty uh, confident that that was um, not the case, but I, again, I had promised to do this novena, so I was praying this uh, quietly. I never expected to get a yes, but that's exactly what happened, and in exactly the manner I asked for it to happen. On the ninth day of that novena, I was getting a little annoyed as to why Therese was not giving me a rose. I never wanted to be a priest, and now I'm getting annoyed that I'm not being called to be one. The Lord had to show me that deep down within me, he had planted a seed perhaps long ago 
of this desire to uh, be set aside for his, uh, to be an instrument of his grace in a certain way. And this little annoyance that started building up in my heart, my mind, I think was the beginning of that answer of the call. And so uh, we were in the Outer Banks and uh, we got to dinner and I'm not finding this rose and we went over to someone's house for uh, dessert. And I always park myself in the kitchen, that's where food is going to be delivered. And so I was there and she eventually is inviting us, go sit down. And so I'm not sure how I didn't notice this, but there was this L-shaped couch and I sit, because I'm an introvert, all the way on the end, one end, and my other buddy, Mark, he's now a priest for Washington, Mark Ivany, is, uh, was sitting all the way at the other end, and I look up as I sit down, and there's this enormous bouquet of roses. And I uh, immediately thought, well, there's the answer to my novena. I guess I'm going to be a priest. This is awesome. And uh, which was a surprising reaction for me that I thought that was good news. And then all of a sudden, immediately, the devil went on attack because he does not want priests. He went on attack, and I immediately thought to myself, wait wait a minute, she didn't even know you were coming, Rich. These were for Father Visano. She invited him. You're just extra. And immediately, the Lord started to build up defenses. My friend Mark, he's not someone that uh, I would guess normally notice roses, but he immediately started to say, hey, Rich, Look at these roses. And then he would say over and over again, my name. Look at these roses, Rich. He moved to smell the rose. Hey, they're real, Rich. You see these roses? They're so beautiful. I had told nobody I was praying this novena. And so I saw this as an extraordinary sign. And so on my way back to the Outer Banks, I was driving to now priest for the Diocese of, or Archdiocese of Washington. Um, and... Uh, that I think I might have just gotten a sign that I'm called to be a priest. Can we talk about it? And it was just so surreal. I'd asked for peace. And they without, I had this mental list of all the reasons why I could not be possibly called to do this. I'm way too old. I'm not holy. All these things. They just want, you probably don't think you're holy. No one's holy or worthy enough. You probably think you're too old. We know lots of guys older than you. Um, anyway, they just went through my list and just started shooting them down one at a time. And they invited me to Archdiocese of Washington uh, discernment event where I, believe it or not, I met Cardinal McCarrick. Um, That's a whole nother talk. But anyway, uh, I uh, was weak. And so I needed a uh, extraordinary sign. Most of the people in this church are not where I was. I would have never been here like you before. I mean, I'd gone to some holy hours, but this is not where I was at the time, and so I did need an extraordinary sign. Yet I did still have to respond to his grace, and I did something completely out of character for me. I went and applied to seminary. I thought I would have thought of a thousand reasons why this was not a good idea. I had spent 43 years going in a different direction, and now I was going in reverse at very high speed because I had to get my application done in one month. And um, anyway, I was accepted to the Diocese of Arlington. That's another long story, but I came to our diocese and uh, it's where I belong. Um, And I went into seminary and that first week was one of the best weeks of my life. I can say it was just so amazing to be with just a bunch of guys that love the Lord and um, that are seeking the same thing I was, peace and joy and God's will. 
Uh, and that was that orientation week. Of course, we have no class, so I didn't have to worry about any of that philosophy and stuff. But um, then once class began, I uh, started to uh, panic. Why did I do this? I gave up my house, and I'm in this little room. It's the size of my old bathroom, and I'm with guys that are uh, literally less than half my age, and uh, I cannot understand a word this philosophy professor is saying. This is a total nightmare. And we started, uh, after that first short week of class, we went into a 40-hour retreat. And uh, I had to be silent now for 40 hours, and I didn't like the thought of that. So I called my buddy Father Swink before we entered into the silence, and uh, he gave me some of the best advice that I've ever received. Suck it up, be a man. <laughs> you committed to seminary for one year, put out the thought that you will leave. You can discern over the summer. You're going to be there one, one year. Done, okay? Great advice, be a man. And so I uh, went into the silence, and um, it was difficult, but uh, we had a time for, um, for some prayer, and so I went to talk to Father Sweeney, and he taught me how to do meditative prayer. It's really sad to think about where I was before I entered seminary. Uh, I was so ill-equipped. But uh, I was really moved by his grace. Over and over again, though, I tried to leave seminary. I've told stories about Psalm 116, extraordinary grace there. I had to do another novena to St. Therese. I see I'm running out of time. But uh, my friend Ben Green gave me a white rose on the ninth day, uh, exactly what I asked for. First John 4.18, perfect love casts out all fear. Uh, I needed to fall more perfectly in love with the Lord because I was afraid. I went to a, a retreat in Ars, France. This was like a, uh, with St. John Vianney's uh, parish, and this was kind of one of those milestone moments in my life. I knew that I had to uh, either decide to do this or go and do something else because I was wasting the diocese money. And uh, I asked my spiritual director, what do you want me to ask for? What grace do I need to receive on this retreat? Richard, I want you to go to ours, and I want you to ask for nothing. I want you just to be with the Lord and allow him to transform your heart. And I'm like, what? <laughs> You expect me to not ask for something? That's my entirety of my prayer, is my laundry list of asks. And I can tell you, I didn't know it at the time, but that was one of the most extraordinary weeks of my life, going to Ars France and not asking for anything, just allowing him to love me. Later, of course, I didn't want to go into seminary. That wasn't enough. And I asked my, seminary, my spiritual director if it was mortal sin if I said no, even though I... Um, I knew I was cold. He was a good man. He didn't answer the question. <laughs> I don't honestly, to this day, know the answer. Um, but I, I tried one last time to leave, and the rector basically said no. I'm like, I didn't know that was allowed. <laughs> I'm free to do what I want. Um, and, uh, but his shocking response uh, was enough to get me to stay. And ultimately, I was, I was ordained a deacon in June of 2011. That Saturday, my parent was my parents, or Friday, that Friday was my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. And so um, I was, had the great privilege of uh, preaching a mass in their, little ch in their little church out in Culpeper. 
and uh, preaching and then renewing their vows on their 50th wedding anniversary. And uh, afterwards we had a party with family and friends and uh, my dad was really suffering with a lot of pain. And finally when we got home the next day, I said, Dad, you gotta do something about uh, your back pain. What's going on? You gotta stop getting these cortisone shots. Turns out he had fourth stage cancer, uh, kidney cancer that had metastasized and gone to his liver, his lungs, his brain, his bones. And the pain he was receiving was that uh, it had metastasized and eaten away at uh, much of his back. And so he needed surgery. I only have 30 seconds, but uh, anyway, I went back to seminary after that summer and um, uh, my dad's condition continued to deteriorate. And so a friend of mine asked me to uh, just write the bishop and ask if he'll ordain you early. And sure enough, that's what happened. I got ordained over my Christmas break. I think if it had happened any differently, I might have thought of another excuse. I think I would have come up with some reason as to why I was not worthy to be his priest. Surely that is true. But I um, was so blessed to have my father uh, side by side with me as I was ordained a priest forever on uh, St. John's feast day. My dad was with me at my ordination. He died literally the next day at the exact moment I was cel finishing celebrating my first mass of Thanksgiving. God is good. My first homily as a deacon was ascension. I haven't stopped thinking about that great solemnity we, we celebrate in our diocese uh, on Sunday. You know, I was feeling like I would be alone. I was a little jealous of those apostles that got to walk this earth and to talk and to see and to touch our Lord. But when the Lord ascended into heaven, he ascended into the sacraments. He did not leave me alone. He did not leave you alone. He is right there. He ascended in the most blessed sacrament. He ascended in the, into all the sacraments so that we could find great intimacy with our God, and our Lord and Savior. And so I've run out of time. There's much more to say. Perhaps the next time I can talk about the fact that our... Um, well, that our, our vocational discernment, once it's known, does not end. We continue to be drawn deeper into whatever vocation the Lord has called us to be. For I am still discovering who I already am. May God be praised. Amen.